Hello, team, and welcome to Bureaucracy. I am your host, Emily Gross. I am so excited today. I have an awesome, awesome guest. Her name is Tanya Shart. She is from the Brady Center to Prevent Gun Violence. So thrilled. Also, as you guys know, it's been like three weeks since I put out an episode. The reason being, I've been trying to get a really awesome gun violence expert on prevention, all that stuff, and finally did it. So, so excited. Tanya, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much, Emily. I'm so excited to be here. I will try to meet those expectations. <laughs> um, my name is Tanya Sharp, and I am Senior Counsel and Director of State and Federal Policy at Brady. Um, really happy to be here. Always happy to talk about this issue. Thank you so much. So obviously, we're going to be talking all about gun violence today, which is not a super fun conversation. Once again, bureaucracy is supposed to be more fun. However, all the topics are super not fun. So I guess that's on me for choosing, choosing to focus on politics. Um, <laughs> not much but, you can do with that, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. So Tanya's not going to be drinking because she's recovering from COVID. So yes, wish her sending you all the best and thank you for not polluting you so your body with alcohol yes. like I do. However, I'm going to be drinking a Three's Brewing beer called The World We Live In. I chose it for this conversation, for this topic, because I felt like it's pretty relevant. Um, I would also like to give a shout out to my friend's boyfriend and his roommates, because I stole this beer from their house when I was at one of their parties. So thank you for your, thank you for your unofficial contribution to bureaucracy. It is very appreciated. <laughs> That's awesome. <Okay>. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Well, cheers. It's not water. Yeah, so cheers. cheers. Yes. No, perfect. I'm, beer is basically just water. Let's be real here. It depends, right? That's actually that's actually a really good, lovely beer. Um, much lovelier than the topic we are about to dive into. So yeah. let's talk about it. First of all, obviously, there's been, a, especially in the news recently, so many mass shootings. Um, and I think it's really important that we also talk about the difference between mass shootings and just gun violence in America, because mass shootings are not the end-all be-all of all the gun violence in America. Um, So I don't know if you want to give kind of just an overview. So, I mean, I think gun violence in America is is certainly a public health epidemic. There's no doubt about it. Mass shootings get a lot of attention. um, And I don't want to dismiss the impact that mass shootings have, um, both in the loss of life, injury, and, you know, traumatic effect on, you know, the people involved, the survivors, their families, Mm -hmm. communities, states. And in this entire country, like I think they have functionally changed the fabric of this country, but they really only account for about 2% of the gun violence in this country. You know, most gun violence in America is actually self-harm, suicide. You know, after that, we have homicides related to um, obviously community violence, Mm -hmm. hate crimes, domestic violence. You know, I always say this, like gun violence is really just like an escalation of every other type of violence that exists. And it's like just that access, the the thread that binds them is access to guns. Um, So again, it's like over a hundred people are, are die every day from gun violence. Um, It's crazy. It's it's just, it's like an unfathomable number. The numbers have gone up the last couple of years, like a lot. So we're well over 40,000 deaths a year and like over 120,000 injuries per year. So it's a lot. I think the mass shootings, again, do get a, a lot of the attention. And, and most recently, there's like this series of devastating mass shootings right. has really made everybody kind of pay attention to what's going on. It's really interesting that that's what we focus on in the media. I mean, because it is so drastic and it's so upsetting. And But I feel like all gun violence is intentional, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, we have we do have un, we call them unintentional shootings because you do have unfortunately they're not accidents, but you do have like kids who are unintentionally shot yeah. when they you know acts you know they get their hands on a gun that isn't safely stored. But generally, yeah, most of the gun violence in the U.S. is intentional. Most of the gun violence in the U.S. is also preventable. Um, but, but not enough is done to prevent it. Obviously, this is an epidemic, which I found really interesting when doing my research is that talking about gun violence as an epidemic, which I mean, I just generally think of like diseases or something like along the lines of that, whereas considering gun violence a public health issue, it's such a, it really kind of takes your breath away for a second. You're like, oh shit, this is actually an unfortunate fiber of America that has just completely taken over. The other thing about American gun violence is like, Everybody's impacted by gun violence in the U.S., but it definitely impacts different communities, different people in entirely different ways. I think Mm -hmm. it would be really irresponsible to talk about gun violence in the U.S. without talking about how it's impacting Black and Brown Americans, because Black Americans are 11 times more likely than white Americans to die from gun homicide. And, you know, gun, gun, gun violence has actually been the leading cause of death for Black children for years. Um, It is now also the leading cause of death for all children and all, all kids in America, which is also just a devastating stat when you contemplate like yeah. more kids die from gun violence than car accidents or from cancer. You know, it's just extraordinary that we've allowed it to get this far. Um, domestic violence obviously is also a very significant issue in this country. And I think when you talk about something like domestic violence, it's really important to talk about the fact that like a woman who is a victim of gun- domestic violence is actually, I think, I have to get the actual stat, but it's significantly more likely to suffer from gun violence if they actually are in a home with a gun. So like they're significantly more like, so a lot of times people are like, oh, I want to get a gun because I'm a victim of gun, of domestic violence. But in reality, like actually obtaining that firearm actually makes you more likely to be a victim of gun violence, unfortunately. So again, it's, it's so, a really diverse, yeah. multifaceted issue. I think the fact that we are starting to talk about it as a public health issue is really important that it's it's upsetting, right? That we have this public health epidemic that just doesn't exist in any other country, really, the way it exists here. But we need to frame it important that we have data and that we have investment and that we have, you know, scientific research being done the way that we're doing those things for other epidemics. Do we know why this has progressed in American society as bad as it has? I mean, I, I think... Again, we like the one thing that the thread that binds all of these things, because the root causes of all of these different types of violence are really different, right? The root cause of community violence, mass shootings, domestic violence, escalations of violence, hate crimes, you know, self-harm, like the root causes of those are all really different. The thread that binds it is unfettered access to firearms. So when you look at us and like where we diverge from other countries, other countries that have domestic violence and have mental illness and have access to video games, what they don't have is unfettered access to guns. So I think there is a really, there's a causal relationship between Mm -hmm. just the the amount, the sheer amount of guns in this country. We have over 120 million guns in this country, more guns than people, by far the most armed civilian population in the the world, by far, like not even close. Um, So it's like, you know, it's that. (laughs) It's that. And the reason I also like, another thing is like, Gun ownership has spiked in the last, you know, like I think 30 or 40 years. And that's not accidental. The gun industry has like deliberately been feeding, stoking these fires and and ensuring that they can continue to like have massive profits. So it is not by accident. And we know 
we know really what what the root cause is. So let's dive into the gun industry and how it's basically the plague of our society. How much money is put in into I find really interesting how much the NRA lobbies and how much they spend convincing the nation's leaders that this is okay and acceptable. So I'd love to dive into some of those facts and figures. Sure. I, and I'm so my apologies. I don't have the actual numbers. I can just tell you. That's that, okay. The NRA has, ex- has spent an extraordinary amount of money to put in place legislators who are going to do their bidding. And, I, and, and again, it's not the, that the NRA is like ideologically just saying, oh, we want everyone. They're, you know, they're going to say this is about the Second Amendment. They're going to say this is about freedom. That is not what it's about. The NRA is funded by the gun manufacturers. This is about money. This is about them right. making money. So they put in, pour in millions of dollars to make sure that they are placing legislators in place who will do their bidding, both on a state, actual local, state, and federal level. And for a long time, they really were able to do so many just outrageous things. It's kind of mind boggling to see how the NRA and the gun industry has really like insulated itself from oversight or accountability in a way that you just don't see in any other way. For example, not allowing, you know, there was a, for, for many years a limitation on, on research on gun violence, which is just again, the Dickey amendment, right? Exactly. That's the Dickey amendment. It's, it's yeah. now we actually are able to get around it and we are going to be having some, we're going to allow some research, but for all those years, you just could not research gun violence. We also have the Tiard Amendment, which functionally says, well, the ATF, which is the own, that's the federal agency that is responsible for oversight of gun, the gun industry, they are not allowed to release data. So we can't go and see which deal. What do you mean they're not allowed? They literally Wait. are not allowed to spend money releasing data. Like that is the, that's what the Tiard Amendment says that the ATF, yes. So functionally, like whenever we ask, okay, tell us which dealers are selling to traffickers, because we know that dealers are selling to traffickers. They, they, they literally are not allowed to spend money to provide us with that information. And they will do everything they can to functionally like prevent that information from being released. Um, They've passed. Oh my God. I, I know it's, it's, it's nuts. They are the only industry that does not have oversight from industry protections, um, consumer protection oversight. Like there's no consumer protection oversight. So like the federal government cannot tell firearms manufacturers how they have to design their weapons. They can do that for every other industry. And and it's really important because guns actually, this sounds like backwards, but they could be safer. There are ways yeah. to make guns safer. So those unintentional shootings that I was talking about, so those don't occur. So the children don't die or accidentally shoot other people. There's no oversight or there's no mechanism to for the federal government to force the gun industry to do that. The gun industry also lobbied Congress to pass the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. We call it PLACA. It provides special protections, really some of the most comprehensive insulation from civil liability um, that exists. No other industry has the civil liability. So it was literally like, okay, we're going to insulate ourselves from oversight, accountability, transparency, and research. Right. We're not going to let the American people know anything about what we're doing, how we're doing it, why we're doing it. And we're not going to let them sue them, sue us when we are negligent. It's just it's crazy. That, I think, is the most insane example of just how money gets you power in this country. Yeah, it's really upsetting. And I think only I think in the last like 10 or 15 years, has the tide changed a little bit and 
you know, yeah. we're, we're able to make progress. And, and I think people are starting to understand that the gun industry, like the tobacco industry before it, like this, you know, the asbestos industry, like the opioid industry is a bad actor, right? And it's time to start poking holes in that. So we've seen some good things. Obviously, the Dickey Amendment isn't um, a barrier anymore. We've yeah. been... Well, if I understand correctly, the Dickey Amendment, there's allowed to be research, but it's not allowed. There's a certain element to it. No, it's we're, a, we're pretty broadly allowed to do research. Now there's funding for it to the CDC and the HHS. So it's it's pretty good. I thought it, oh my gosh, I can't remember exactly what it was. I thought there was like, it was allowed to be funded, but it wasn't, oh, but it wasn't allowed to promote Oh, gun that's reform. probably true. Yeah. 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 yeah that's probably true. <laughs> well, Which but is at a fucking minimum, nuts. Just able to do it. it is, it's all fucking nuts because again, it's like, because when we, okay, so what I do, you know, is I work on, on federal and state legislation. And when I want to, mm-hmm. we want to pass, you know, legislation that's promoting gun safety, they'll say there's no data to support the fact, first of all, there, there always is a little data, but then the reason there isn't data is because for all of these years, we weren't allowed to research it. You know, again, it's, it's, it's so self-serving. That is insane. I can't believe the federal government prevented research. That feels- and for what reason? All right. Yeah, that, hmm, hmm, something smells fishy. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's fishy. That's so, so, so the gun industry has been an incredibly powerful, strategic, smart advocate on their own behalf. And it's, it's yeah. and I hate to say it, but thousands of people have died because of it. Um, it's unfortunate. So it's really, I think, I think the tides have turned. Obviously, in some states, we can do a lot. In Congress, we finally saw progress. Yeah, let's talk about the Bipartisan Act that came out of Uvalde. Yeah, you know, it's been a really intense two months since Buffalo. Um, Mm -hmm. So much good and then some bad. But, you know, to see the first federal bill passed in 30 years, um, it's really extraordinary. And it's not everything we want. It's not, but to be fair... Gun violence is so multifaceted. There really isn't one bill. There isn't one piece of legislation. We do think background checks is the most important because it's the foundation of so many other elements that we try to to, to, to do to make sure that guns don't end up in the hands of who shouldn't have them. But this bipartisan bill was still really important. So, you know, to know that it's going to provide all this funding for extreme risk laws, which are huge and which, func- you know, they yeah, work can to you prevent break violence. down the bill? Absolutely. The law, so I'll no. just talk. I guess it's law. It's long, but I can talk, I'll highlight like the biggest, the biggest, the biggest uh, yeah. elements. Yeah. I think that the funding for extreme risk laws, you know, there's significant funding for extreme risk laws to help states implement and carry out extremist orders in their states. There's 19 states that have extreme risk laws. Extreme risk laws allow law enforcement, sometimes your family, sometimes close people, your employers, uh, teachers, things like that to petition to have firearms removed from you because you are considered high risk at risk. There's a due process built in, but it's just a mechanism to remove firearms from people who are showing signs of being at risk of harming themselves or somebody else. They came into existence following the Isla Vista shooting in California, where there were significant signs that the shooter, you know, was, was at a risk of harming himself or some, or someone else. So, you know, we've seen it. It's, they pass one in Florida after Parkland, right? Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So there, this is a really important tool. And again, it's a way to stop the violence before it happens, which, you know, whenever we can do that, we have to. 
The other thing is, is it partially closes the boyfriend loophole, which is, has been something we've been trying to do for a very long time. Um, the Violence Against Women's Act was passed earlier this year, and that part got removed at the last second. So it's kind of shocking that just months later we were able to do that. And that will make sure that, you know, if somebody is um, convicted of a domestic violence misdemeanor, even if they're not married or living with or don't have children with the with the victim, they are still considered prohibited to own a firearm, which is really important. It's that we have, you know, domestic violence is so significant that like the relationship between domestic violence and access to firearms, is just outrageously dangerous in this country. So I'm so happy that happened. It's a huge deal. The other big one, and this is a little bit like wonky, but it redefines what it means to be in the business of selling firearms. And the reason that's important is because if you are deemed to be in the business, you have to go and become a federal firearms licensee. And the reason that's important is because under federal law, under the Brady Bill, actually, if you buy a gun from a federal firearms licensee, you have to have a background check. So this means that like all those private individuals who are not in the business, but are functioning like they're in the business, now will have to actually become federal firearms licensee or be violating federal law. And that means, you know, we can't, we don't, we won't have these private sellers who are selling guns without background checks and who are really just evading this responsibility. That's a huge deal actually, because the more, you know, again, whenever we can get a background check, that's the best thing. In an ideal world, every single gun sale will include a background check. Um, so that's a big deal. Like, it is crazy. And I, you know, I think what I'm always like is what is the argument against having a background check, right? Like, What's the big because deal? they want as many people as possible to have guns That's because right. they want as much right. money. As and I will say, like, just so, so like- everyone knows, like, it literally takes typically less than a minute for a background check. This is not a burdensome process. So, so just is this just like any like federal or state crime that pops up and you're like misdemeanor? Yeah. So there's a system called NICS, and it it okay. functionally checks all the different systems, and it, it will pop up if you have a pro like a prohibitory like conviction, whether it's a felony, misdemeanor, domestic violence crime, or some states have more like broader prohibitions. Mm-hmm. So also will flag if there's like a state prohibition, like some states, you know, a misdemeanor hate crime could be prohibitory, for example. So um, it works very quickly. It's you know we need to constantly enhance the system i think background checks is so key to keeping guns out of the hands of those who shouldn't have them um but just know like the fact that you have to have a background check you have to go through that process is a deterrent for anybody who's going to want to be doing something any unlawful anyway so you know i'll never understand that the opposition to it it's upsetting that at a minimum we can't pass this very simple thing but Um, so one last thing I'll mention, I mean, otherwise, obviously there's significant funding for schools and mental health, um, which Mm -hmm. is also really important, but it also finally creates a crime for straw purchasing, um, and trafficking. So straw purchasing Mm -hmm. is functionally like buying a gun on behalf of somebody else, which is illegal, but there wasn't an explicit federal law. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. So this created that. And it also created a penalty, like a, a sorry, a law, a law that you violate if you're a trafficker. So, so often traffickers will actually pay straw purchasers to go and buy the guns for them. And then they'll, they'll get them to the trafficker. The trafficker will then traffic. And that's happening typically from states with really, really weak laws, like Georgia, Texas, to states with really, really strong laws, like California, New York, Illinois, et cetera. 
Yeah, I'm from Chicago and we have an insane problem with that coming from Indiana. And correct me if I'm wrong, didn't it raise the age of which someone was able to buy a gun? It didn't raise the age. Thank you for reminding me. But it did, uh, that was discussed pretty aggressively and we were hopeful that it did. What it did do is it created an enhanced background check for those who Mm. are under, under 21. So weirdly, under federal law, those who are 18 to 21 or under 21 actually can't buy a handgun. You cannot purchase a handgun. But you can purchase a long gun, which under its definition, oh. I know, includes assault weapons. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Because make- that makes a difference. I know. It, like, I mean, it's funny because I think it's, in- I mean, the intent is obviously to allow people to buy hunting rifles, but it encapsulates ARs, it encapsulates assault <laughs> weapons, it encapsulates all the weapons that these young male mass shooters go and legally obtain. So... so- that is that's fucking insane that is like no 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 you can't have a you can't have a handgun but you're having ak-47 go to town i it's very it's just i know so ideally i mean listen in a perfect world we ban assault weapons right and the next perfect world we ban those who are under 21 because like they are just it is so evident this is a category of people that's like really shouldn't have these weapons, right? Like it's just happening too often. Um, Do we know why young, predominantly white men are the ones that are committing a lot of mass shootings? So there's a lot of, there is research about brain um, development and cognitive function that suggests that like until you're a certain, I think the actual evidence shows like until you're 25, but let's say that like yeah. people under 21 are really susceptible and, and have the inability to like really think through their decisions and sometimes make decisions too quickly. So I think that's part of it. I also think, and we actually filed an FTC complaint about this with regards to Smith and Wesson, that the gun industry is intentionally targeting these group of people. Hmm. Um, they intentionally target them to like by making their ads look like video games they intentionally target them with like military and law enforcement insignia. I think that coupled with a lot of their messaging and their fear mongering has made this group especially susceptible. I think um, there's probably, there's a lot more in the social science to really understand why it is that these young white males are the ones carrying out these mass shootings i think there's a lot there but i think it's really important to look at the how the gun industry is actually targeting them because they are despite the fact that they know that they're high risk interesting well once again girls rule boys drool true so. it's true, true. <laughs> <laughs> um all right so we talked about kind of the bipartisan bill that just became law which is huge which like you mentioned first piece of gun regulation in 30 something years which is crazy because Gun violence has been going on super bad for so long. Um, I feel like if I sing it, it makes it less less difficult to swallow. <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure if that is scientific. You gotta do it. You gotta try whatever you can yeah, do to make it less. Trying anything I do. But I would love to talk about some of the other. I mean, there's a couple SCOTUS laws, and obviously the Supreme Court right now is very right leaning and is really doing a lot of damage, in my opinion. Um, and taking away rights, giving rights, get, taking away rights when it comes to women, giving rights when it comes to guns. That's right. Um, yeah, because they're stupid. Because uh, <laughs> <That's so, right. laughs> they're love stupid. For, <laughs> that's, that's just my scientific opinion. Um, 
I would love for you to kind of dive in into some of the recent SCOTUS rulings affecting guns and uh, gun access. And then also if there's any other legislation that's kind of going around. Sure, something sure. Something that, yeah. So, and that can be federal and state too. It doesn't yep. have to be just federal. Yeah, because there's usually not that much happening on the federal level, actually. So <laughs> happy to talk about no. the state. Yeah. Um, so is this, okay, so like, again, it's been a series of highs and lows since Buffalo. And I will say I was actually on my way to go watch the Senate vote on the bipartisan bill that day when we got the Bruin decision, which mm. is, it's a really significant piece of law. And functionally, so what was being challenged was the New York law about its concealed carry permitting system. And at its very core, the court essentially said, okay, the right to bear arms is no longer just a right to have a gun in your home for self-defense, which they already made up, by the way, in the Heller decision, but whatever. Nowhere in the Constitution, just putting you guys, putting that in there, but whatever. Well-regulated, militia, those words irrelevant. So, Uh So they now extended the right to have a gun for self-defense outside of the home, which is in and of itself pretty dangerous and scary. Yeah. Um, And they said essentially the New York law is, you know, the part of the New York law that requires you to show good cause or a need to have a gun, like to conceal carry a gun is unlawful. So they, you know, at its core, they, they knocked out down what they did. That was like really more troubling. And I think we have, like, it's going to take years to really understand what it means is you know, there's like different ways that courts analyze um, constitutional cases, intermediate scrutiny, strict scrutiny, and it depends on what the court's test has been. And so they functionally created a new test just for gun laws. And I have to tell you, oh. it's like, it's like, literally, Thomas writes that the like the Second Amendment should be should rise above all other rights. I, I, I know it. I I would like to punch Thomas in the face. I'm just going to put that out there. Maybe shake some sense back into his old fucking head because he is being super stupid and really fucking awful. And that's shitty. He should not be on the Supreme Court. He should not be on the Supreme Court, first of all, because his wife is a fucking insurrectionist. That too. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Second of all, because he's old. Old people, we should have term limits for the Supreme Court. Yes. Putting that out there. Anyways, all right. Sorry, continue. Also, the allegations against him, everyone knows they were true. Anyway, he's a- Yes, and he's like a sexual assaulter. All right, anyways. He sucks. Um, So his dictus, I mean, like his, his, the case is bad. And what it means is like, so functionally it says like, he wrote- you know, unless the law is rooted in some historical context of gun laws, like looking back 150 years, then it's unconstitutional. We don't really know what that's going to mean. It's funny because a lot of gun laws actually, like actually gun control, gun gun regulation was actually pretty significant in the beginning of our country. People think it wasn't, but it was. They were actually really heavily regulated. He also like accepted some historical references and dismissed the ones he didn't like. He also said, he functionally said, yeah, history is all what's important. That's important, except when we're talking about technological advances with guns, because he, he's setting them up to be able to over overrule any assault weapons ban. So that's what I think anyway. It's, it's pretty sad. For also, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but for reference, if for Thomas is going to talk about history, the reason that amendment is in the fucking constitution is because when the British had control over all the settlers in America, first of all, let's 
get rid of the whole colonialism thing, which is very prominent, very important. However, when the country was beginning, they took away their guns to try to stop them from rising up against them, which is why they literally put it in the Constitution. Like, we want to have our guns. It's also why they put in the Constitution, you're not allowed to, like, put people in other people's homes. Yep. Yeah. Because that's what happened during when the British and the Americans were fighting. And that's why it it is in there right now. So if you want to go into history, Thomas. I know. Clarence Thomas, let's fucking go because you're being stupid. Well, no, no, like, how can you say history doesn't matter with the guns when they were shooting fucking muskets? I mean, that's it the took like three minutes to do one serious. shot. Like, do we really think the founders believed that somebody needed to have a hundred AR? Like, like they, they did they think that that like eighteen year old boys? They also were all young men who owned slaves and didn't believe in women's rights. Like, let's... Yeah. Like... Right. It's so dramatic. And what's what's dangerous about it is, like, it doesn't... Like, technically, the test may not allow us to take into account public health. Like, and in the opinion, they actually say, like, it it doesn't really matter how many people die from gun violence. Like, that doesn't matter. Like, so that we're not... Yeah. Like, I don't know why people are talking about people who die from this and this and that all these different methods of gun violence. And it's like, it does matter. And it like, it also like functionally says it doesn't matter what the American people want, because if they didn't have it back then, never mind what 90% of Americans want right now, if it's not rooted in historical context, it's not going to, it's, it's going to be unconstitutional. Which is also so problematic when he says rooted in historical context. So yeah, it's just that. It's, yeah. Well, it's I, that. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> um, it was upsetting. Yeah, strong dislike. Strong dislike, but it's you know it's been a series of upsetting decisions from SCOTUS, so it's it was yeah, awesome. yeah not unexpected. Unfortunately, over constantly. Um, anyways, sorry. Brief, brief uh, sidetrack interlude <laughs> of just ranting about Thomas. Um, anyways, back to legislation. The states have been doing a lot of really incredible, well, certain states have been doing a lot of really incredible things. Some states have been going asterisks, yeah. Yeah, with permitless carry, which is really <laughs> dangerous. But on the flip side, states like California, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Washington State, Nevada have been passing like really incredible laws. I'll just talk about a couple of them um, yeah. that we're seeing that I think is really cool. It started in New York from his... Um, a senator named Senator Myrie came up with this idea. And, you know, I talked about that federal law placa that like insulates the gun industry from liability. It has certain exceptions. And one of them is like, you know, alleged violation of a state law, blah, 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 blah. So he functionally drafted that state law for New York. So it's a state law that creates a nuisance cause of action for against the gun industry when they engage in certain business practices. So you know, it was incredible to see it pass in New, in New York. And what it functionally does is it allows victims and survivors and communities impacted by gun violence to actually pursue claims against the gun industry, which is so important for accountability, mm. justice, yeah. but also to incentivize the gun industry to act responsibly, right? Like, because civil the risk of civil liability always makes people act more responsibly, again, because it's all about money. And now California, Delaware, New Jersey have all passed a similar law. So it's really exciting. That's all happened in the last year. It's, you know, it's been really fun to be a part of and to watch it happen. So that's 
one piece of legislation, the other one I'll flag that's been passing quite a bit and, and Biden also took some action here is ghost gun bills. So I don't, mm-hmm. do you know what ghost guns are? I would, I kind of do, but please give a debrief on it. So ghost guns are generally guns made from unregulated parts. Um, So the part of the gun that's regulated is called the frame or receiver. And when it was like a little bit unfinished, like it didn't have a couple drill holes, it would not be deemed a frame or receiver. So it didn't need to be serialized. And that first sale didn't have to go through a licensed dealer, which means anybody, including a 17-year-old, a prohibited person, a gun trafficker can buy these parts and kits and pretty easily build these guns. And then they're unserialized, unregulated, untraceable guns that like law enforcement can't even trace them because they don't have serial numbers. So they've exploded over the last few years. And it was like pretty scary because again, every law that we try to get passed is kind of irrelevant at, at the end of the day. Like someone who's subject to an extreme risk order someone who's subject to a domestic violence order, someone who's under 21 can just go buy the parts and then kind of build their own. It's like building Ikea furniture. It's almost like building a Lego set, actually. No, I I mean, are they like putting it out in Toys R Us? Like, what the fuck? (laughs) They have their websites. What's funny is actually when you go to buy them at like gun shows, they are packed. Like, first of all, the rubber banded together so you can see what the gun will look like. And they are all different colors. They are actually like set out like candy. It's very strange and dangerous. We have Wait, no so, idea how many of them there are already out there. It's pretty scary. So who puts these together? Anybody. Is it you buy them? You buy the like now they sell them in kits and they include every single. Who sells party them in need, kits? Is it like bit. is it is it the gun industry and like gun manufacturers selling them or no? So it's some of them are actually licensed manufacturers. Some of them are actually smaller businesses. I believe very strongly that they are part and parcel of the gun industry now because the gun yeah. industry has come out in support of or in defense of these bills, like against these bills and things like that. So it's the same rhetoric, right? Like that you shouldn't be able to control us. We want to build our guns. I want to be able to, so this is not a gun under law. I, I can sell it to you for, I can sell it to anybody unregulated and then they wow. can drill a couple holes and build a gun. I mean, really it's like you can build a gun in a half an hour functionally. And there's like a million Whatever happened YouTube to like videos. building your own computer or, you know, build a desk. Like you said, Ikea. I'm sorry. Right. Why does it need to be a weapon that can kill people? Exactly. It's just, you right. know, I think, you know, anyway, so we've seen lots of states pass ghost gun bills. California just passed one last month and it's, California's really been the epicenter of this happening because of their strong gun laws. Um, but anyway, the bill that was signed is great because it actually like, it, went, it had an urgency clause. It went into effect immediately. So like as of July 1st, you could not buy the parts or kits in California anymore, which is huge. Awesome. Yep. That's huge. So there are good things happening on the state side. <laughs> I went and it works. Cal- like, California has really strong gun laws. And actually it's got its rates of gun violence is about 30% less than the average in the country. Wow. Cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, California coming through again. I'm in California. Oh, oh, you're like, yes. <laughs> we did it. about it, yeah. <laughs> Very proud. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I guess I kind of think the big question is, what does the Brady Center recommend as these steps that need to be taken in order to control this epidemic? Yeah. I mean, there's, again, it's such a multifaceted like I don't want to dismiss all of the root causes of you know because it's like so much and it's complicated but I think what's really important is you know to continue asking questions 
to always try to get information about like where are the guns coming from to like look to the supply side and say, okay, yes, I acknowledge that gun violence is high in cities like Chicago, but how are the guns getting into cities like Chicago, right? Let's trace back. So like, I think taking that approach and understanding, okay, how can we prevent the violence before it happens? How can we prevent the guns from being, you know, going to the hands of people who shouldn't have them to traffickers, things like that is really important. I think what's become really apparent to me in doing this work is that like, voting is really, really important. And I think that's probably true for every single issue. But like, you know, sometimes we're dealing with municipal law. Sometimes we're dealing with state law. And obviously we're dealing with a lack of a system of regulations on a federal level without question. Wherever we can elect people who are going to take action on gun violence policies at any of these levels, it is inherently important. Being able to pass those laws in those states like California, New York, Illinois has to go scum bill this law, this this session too, actually. Like being able to, that's how we save lives. And then, you know, you see what happens in other states where we just can't do anything and they're doing the reverse. So, you know, and the same thing in Congress, you know, we passed the bipartisan bill because we have the elected officials in there who were willing to do that. We need to do so much more. And so we need more, more people who are willing to take action on guns. And what are some of the, if you could choose three big pieces of legislation to go through right now that would be passed, what would they be? I think background checks is the first. I think, again, it's the kind of the the way that all of the other, most of the other laws function. Um, I think the other one is funding for community violence intervention. You know, there are so, so much of gun violence in this country is community violence, and it does disproportionately impact black and brown communities all over the country. It perpetuates these cycles of incarceration and poverty and gun violence. And it's been doing that for so long. And community violence intervention goes and says, on a community level, how can we prevent this from happening in the first place? So I think it's it's a proven effective tool. I think um, it's, it's relatively new, but the data behind it is really strong. There are different models. So I think significant sustained funding for that in communities that are disproportionately impacted by gun violence is so incredibly important. And then I would, I really think, that the gun industry has, again, it's insulated itself in a way that to me is really dangerous. And I think let's repeal PLACA. I think, you know, and I will say this, like yeah. the House Judiciary Committee actually just marked up this bill last week. We're hoping there's going to be a vote in the full house next week. Let's make sure that the gun industry is, is held to the same standard as every other industry, because to me, that is how we see reform. That is why the tobacco yeah. industry reformed itself. That's why the opioid industry reformed itself. Only then will they start to act responsibly if they're forced to. Absolutely. I want like 10 more, but I'll go with those. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, the fact we even got one passed. I know. Huge. We'll take it. We'll take it. We'll yeah, take exactly. what we can get. Oh, my God. Any other comments you would like to say? No, just thank you so much for having me. And I guess I will leave you with one thing is like, I think it's important to have hope in this moment. It's it's yeah. been a really, really hard. It's, been, sh- it's been shit. It's been, yeah. I don't know why, but today I was thinking about 2020 and how it started with the fires in Australia and then Kobe oh Bryant dying and then the pandemic started. I'm like, it's just been really bad <laughs> since then. Like, it's just been really bad. So, yeah, it's yeah, been tough. It's been just, it's hot. Like, there's so much happening. Totally. It's, I th- so you know, I don't want to dismiss the fact that there is an incredible amount of work to be done, but I do think we should have hope because I do think there's some coalescence and there's some momentum here and we just mm-hmm. kind of got to keep all pushing and keeping the faith that we can make change. Absolutely. Ah, that was such a lovely note to end on. Okay. Good. Thank you. <laughs>
Yeah. Well, I am your host, Emily Gross. This has been another great episode of Bureaucracy, and we'll be back next week. Thanks so much, Tanya. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.